Do you remember your summer jobs in your younger years? What did you do? Did you work at the mall food court, maybe? Were you a camp counselor? Whatever it was, you probably learned some lessons and skills that you might not have otherwise, like how to deal with customers or even how much you hate camping. Mayor Brandon Johnson says one of his top priorities for his first 100 days in office is to double youth employment this summer. But that's a goal that could be easier said than done. A new study out from the University of Illinois, Chicago, it found that youth employment rates are actually dropping and young people in Chicago are finding it harder to get summer jobs than other cities in the country. Later, we will talk to State Representative Cam Buckner of Chicago about a bill that he's sponsoring to get more state funding for youth employment. But now we are joined by Matt Wilson, who's one of the researchers behind that UIC study. Great to see you, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, let's start from the top. Give us an overview, maybe a quick overview, and, and the main takeaways from this study. Yeah. So as the pandemic has impacted labor markets profoundly, you know, we were really interested to know that as the economy was recovering as a whole, so as sort of, you know, the macroeconomic indicators, things start to look more normal in 2021. Mm -hmm. We were really interested in this question of, well, how has that recovery been uneven? And how within Chicago, if we break down by sex, um, by different age groups, and by race, how can we sort of see what's going on with with those different respective age groups in terms of um, their jobless rates? So, we did this study. We sort of compared 2019, a relatively normal year. Mm -hmm. um, 2020, things were the worst. 2020, there was some recovery. 2021. Uh, 2021, there was some recovery. But for a lot of groups, things actually continued to get worse. Um, so the, the biggest takeaway, and I think looking at black 20 to 24-year-old women, um, there were stark numbers that when you see them, you have to run them twice because you're not sure if you actually you know did it correctly because – the number of, of jobless black 20, 24-year-old women actually nearly doubled between 2019 and 2021, going from about 32% uh, to nearly 60%. Yes. So when right. you see that number, it's it's so staggering. And um, you know, the we also looked at not just jobless rates, but also out of school and out of work rates to see, right? So, so the pandemic was uh, a tough time for learners too. Um, people having to switch to becoming e-learners and having to, you know, do uh, schooling at home, right? There was huge difference in abilities for right. families to accommodate for that. So a lot of people um, dropped out of school and weren't working. So we look at these rates that we call uh, jobless and out of school. And double whammy. Yeah, the double whammy. And, you know, the big question is, so if people aren't working, they're not in school, what are they up to? Um, so we saw that, again, for for, for 20 to 24-year-olds, um, you know, the for black 20 to 24 year olds, the the rate went from about um, 21 to nearly 40 for mm -hmm. Black women. So again, we have that nearly doubling. So you know, that the the sort of overview and sort of our biggest takeaway is that within this uneven recovery that we've had, and in a lot of cases, no recovery, that we really need to be intentional about what types of programming moving forward is going to help people that have been left behind. Yeah, absolutely. So the recovery clearly has been uneven, right, uh, right. Since, since 2021. Why would you say youth unemployment is still so high? So it's interesting. Youth have done worse in the labor market for a long time. And it has to do with a number of different dynamics. But I think if we look at generally how the economy has restructured over you know, a 50-year period where we have this bifurcated economy where we have wages on a high end, on a low end, we have educationally intensive work, and then we have work that doesn't require um, higher education. Young people now are in a position where they're competing with older people for jobs that don't require, that, that, that 
don't require a high level of education. So now if we think of things like fast food work, mm-hmm. right? If you're if you're a young person and you go into a, a fast food establishment and you turn in a resume or go in for an interview, but you're also going against people that have 20 years of work experience, you're less competitive. You have fewer soft and hard skills. Yeah. Um, you, you, your ability to sort of come out of a job search process on top is really diminished when you don't have that history, you don't have a resume, perhaps you don't have interview skills, and you're going against someone who does. And you know, labor turnover is so high in, in industries like fast food, but I think the, the big picture of, of young people being less competitive in the labor market um, really goes back to sort of the hollowing out of middle-class jobs where there used to be sort of these jobs that we would think of as, oh, that's that's obviously a job that young people would do, you know, camp right. counselors and um, things of that nature. And Not the um, case anymore. Not the case anymore. How does Chicago compare when we look at the rest of the country? So compared to the U.S. as a whole, Chicago is certainly a space of that has more inequality amongst sort of racial and ethnic groups. Um, jobless rates are higher. Out of school and out of work rates are higher. Mm-hmm. So Chicago, you know, our urban settings are often the the most profound sites of inequality, right? So we have a higher share of residents that are in poverty. Um, the sort of tr- transformations that that happen in the economy they're more profoundly felt in cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think Chicago is is definitely in a worse position than the nation overall, and even in Illinois. So we looked at the this report compares Chicago, Illinois, and the U.S. Right, and um, Chicago across. Pretty much every measure um, looks worse for young people. Wow. And some other obstacles here. I mean, are, what about rising wages? Rising wages. So... No, minimum wage in Chicago is, it's roughly $15 an hour. Right. So there's huge debates amongst economists about the impacts that minimum wage has on employment. Um, there's sort of the, the, the camp that says that when you raise the minimum wage, you're sort of doing it over what, in a in a... In a less interfered with market people would get. So therefore, people's abilities to get those jobs is going to be diminished. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at, I mean, there's been so many empirical studies that look at that that relationship and try to measure what you know economists would call an elasticity. So is the overall Im- impact going to be negative? And young people have been um, especially important to study in that because of their you know competitive disadvantage. I don't, I don't believe that Minimum wage is, is leading to significant, what we would call disemployment effects. Yeah. And um, that young people are systematically less well positioned in the labor market because of it. Um, I think that, you know, the ability for small businesses versus larger businesses like corporations to pay that wage is very different. Um, so we're going to see a lot of sort of differences in how um, a higher minimum wage impacts across different spaces and neighborhoods, but mm-hmm. largely, um, it, I don't see that as a factor. I think um, a large body of research also suggests that, too. Well, here's a, what's an, another possible factor here. We we caught up with Brandon Hughes. He runs the Summer Youth Employment Program for the YWCA here in Chicago. He couldn't join us for this live show, but he wanted to share a, a little bit, uh, and he talked with our producer. Here's a bit of what he said. He said, it's not that the youth don't want to work. It's that they have so many other avenues of entrepreneurship, like they can make money off social media. It can become a TikTok brand influencer, a gamer, and so on. You don't really need any talents. You just need to get popular. Why go work a regular job 
that makes you only half the money. So, of course, this goes back to what you were just talking about with some of the fast food restaurants, mm-hmm. the, you know, traditional jobs that we're used to young people uh, taking. I had this very same conversation, Matt, with my uh, my kids. I have two teen daughters. They're fans of several YouTubers, and they're constantly you know, you know, almost envious of the money that they're making. So uh, does any of that line up with your research, would you say? I, are some members of this younger generation not fully buying into traditional jobs? It's such an interesting question. I would I would argue that becoming popular and knowing how to popularize yourself is a, a tremendous scale. Um, and I, I think it's not know, easy to get all those those numbers yeah, on social not. media. And I think you know, so I, if we recognize that as a skill, and we look at how young people have the ability to be creative within workplaces, I think social media is a real creative avenue. I'm not saying that it you know everything about social media and young people is beneficial to them and beneficial to their health. But I think that that as a creative outlet, I think on sort of conversely, we see that the types of jobs are are really alienating. You know, things like a, a, a summer camp counselor can be a really, you know, enriching experience that people enjoy. Right. But in large part, you know, work, working kind of a, a job where you have, com, you know, continuous repetitive tasks and you're being monitored and, you know, there's no room for creativity. You know, compare that comparing that to being on social media, it's... There's no contest for day. young people, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the what you first described probably feels a lot like school, right? Which is right. what they just they just left. This is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As the school year winds down, many young people are on the hunt for summer jobs and getting more youth employed. That's a priority for the city's new mayor. But there's new research showing that it's harder for young people in Chicago to get jobs. This is compared to other U.S. cities. Our guest is Matt Wilson, who's one of the researchers behind a study out of UIC that examined what obstacles young people are facing when it comes to employment. I want to bring another voice into the conversation with us, Matt. Gabrielle Cavrell-McNeil is the Senior Director of Employment and Academic Coaching at New Moms. They provide supportive services to moms who are 24 years and younger in the Chicago area. Welcome, Gabrielle. Hi, glad to be here. So talk more about the, the people that you serve at New Moms. Yeah, we serve young moms, 18 to 24, um, and they work with us in our paid transitional program um, through, at our candle company, Bright Endeavors. And at Bright Endeavors, we're providing job skills and career readiness that really help open doors to opportunity and uh, long-term employment. You're working with people who also have had to navigate childcare with entry-level jobs. So what are you hearing from them about how that goes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our moms, uh, and that's really what's being left out of conversation, particularly when it comes to that research for moms that are 20 to 24, a lot of them are parenting, which might add to the stark differences found in the research. Um, our participants are running into not only um, challenges with childcare and those hours matching up with the availability for the jobs, um, that they're trying to compete for, but also um, this idea of benefits cliffs, which is really that sudden and often unexpected decrease in public benefits that occur mm-hmm. when small, uh, with a small increase in earnings. So our participants are earning fifteen forty um, an hour, which is the Chicago minimum wage. Um, but for some of them, if that goes up a dollar, they stand to earn uh, to lose um, thousands of dollars in childcare assistance. Um, with just a dollar increase in pay. So that really forces them to make a decision between um, working part-time job, accepting advancement, 
or trying to provide a financial cushion with the support they're already receiving. Mm-hmm. It's a really challenging position to be in. Yeah, talk more about that that benefits, uh, that conundrum there, right, where, you know, getting a raise or higher paying job seems like this positive thing, but in a lot of cases, it could make moms lose their benefits. Talk about the balancing act that that would require. That's right. That's right. That's quite a balancing act. And um, often it's unexpected or they don't know how to calculate it correctly. And so um, they are being forced to really ask a lot of questions, which they can't, um, you know, come up with answers to, um, especially when it comes to the child care uh, subsidies they might be receiving or SNAP or TANF benefits. Um, a lot of our participants um uh, use these as a um, a way to like bridge the gap between their low income mm-hmm. um, and keeping you know um, staying afloat. Um, housing subsidies come into this as well, um, and they're parenting one or two children, so they have to decide you know do I want to take this raise um, and continue to move up on my career ladder, or do I need to just stay in this part time job um, until I'm able to maybe get the training or the education in order to essentially jump the cliff to where I can lose the benefits and still maintain some sort of financial footing. And it's such a real-life situation, Matt. You're, you're listening along. Talk more about the implications of, of this on the economy at large, uh, you know, and on the long-term financial outlook for moms trying to just move up. So I think the, the there's a really important context there for when we talk about that jobless 20 to 24-year-old that number nearly doubling is this this caretaking role, and I think you know the the number of um, twenty twenty four olds that are parents, but also for the ones that aren't parents, also you know doing sort of unpaid house household type you know work that's keeping sort of the the, the family unit afloat. That mm-hmm. you know the pandemic you know created so many challenges for for healthcare, and maybe it's you know being the the sort of last resort that that helps out a family member. Um, or you know becomes an important sort of person in their neighborhood to to look after children. So I think I think that the that context is really important to understand exactly why this jobless rate um, has doubled because it it gives us sort of the tools to be able to address the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, Gabrielle, what policy shifts do you want to see to address this issue? Yeah, sure. I think some um, policy shifts that can be made for certain is making sure that families are equipped with the information about what it means when they lose their public benefits, what those thresholds actually are. Um, Ohio is doing some um, work around this um, and really um, building some sort of bridges around streamlining um, benefits eligibility, allowing continuous eligibility when possible, um, exempting adults from mandatory work activities. So there are some things that we can do on our end to really allow families to continuously have this eligibility until they get their footing mm-hmm. or at least extending these certification periods um, that a lot of families are um, adhering to to stay in compliance. I, I mentioned Brandon Hughes earlier. Uh, he's an associate director at YWCA Chicago, and he works with young people to connect them with summer jobs. Here's something else he told Reset. He said, there are a ton of black and brown kids out here that are doing positive things and great things. And as a city, we need to highlight that because that will lead to employers taking more of a chance on them and not making a judgment on them without knowing them. In your experience, Gabrielle, what are some of those positive things? Yeah, some of those positive things are really the skills that they bring to the job. I mean, just like uh, a lot of us who maybe might have been in summer jobs, 
20 plus years ago, we were learning some of those core capability skills. Um, at Newmont, we call them executive skills, and that's really the idea of how we organize, react, and get things done. And we build those core skills around time management, around emotional control and stress tolerance, um, around sustained attention and, and paying attention to tasks in those jobs. And that's really a place for them to learn and grow at, um, at area businesses. So I think it would be uh, remiss for um, our Chicagoland um, employment to really turn those opportunities away. That's really a chance for them to uh, keep someone, grow someone in a career field um, and retain workers. Mm -hmm. That really um, helps helps that business um, and helps our our taxpayers um, who are bearing the cost of some of these elevated needs for benefits as well. You know, Matt, advocates... um they want more funding for youth jobs programs, and they say that getting young people employed, it's also strongly correlated to a drop in, in violent crime. Does that ring true in your research? Yes. So there's been evaluations of summer jobs programs that found um, that so one summer Chicago in 2012 was highly evaluated and that violent crime um, amongst program participants dropped by about half. And that effect stayed just for the year that they were engaged in the program. So if you look a year out when that program ended, the effects diminished. Is it that easy? Substantially. I think, you know, I think the research points to that. Yes, when you engage young people and you engage them in a way that's productive for them, that, you know, the the sort of social benefits and the benefits uh, are, are really profound. What do you think about that, Gabrielle? Yeah, the same. Um, we're finding the exact same sort of findings. Um, when our uh, moms are safely housed, they're less likely to be involved in violence and less likely to be um, dependent on relationships with those who are involved, perhaps, in violent or criminal activity. Um, they have more robust uh, social support networks um, and insurance, preventative care. Um, and their children, of course, are less likely to be affected by family and community violence. So we are finding that as well. And they're also engaged in, you know, quality early childhood and educational programming um, along with their with their families. Gabrielle Caverell mcneil is the Senior Director of Employment and Academic Coaching at New Moms. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Matt Wilson's the Associate Director of Economic and Workforce Development at UIC's Great Cities Institute. He's going to stick around with us. Up next, we'll hear how one state legislator is pushing his colleagues in Springfield to support more funding for youth jobs. That's up next on Reset. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We have been talking about the high rates of youth unemployment in Chicago and across Illinois. Now let's hear from a state representative who's trying to move state money to address this problem and get thousands more young people hired. Joining us now is Representative Cam Buckner of Illinois' 26th District, which covers Bronzeville, Gold Coast, South Shore and other Chicago neighborhoods. Welcome, Representative. Thank you for having me. So why is youth employment such a priority for you? It's a big deal. Um, When we look at uh, finding ways to help young people, youth and young adults succeed, when we look at um, reduction in crime and making communities safer, when we look at strengthening uh, the economy of not just the city of Chicago, but the entire state of Illinois and having a real return on investment, we have to find ways to truly invest uh, in our young people. And so um, I'm carrying a bill that is called the Future Through Employment uh, Act. And what we're attempting to do is to get the state to shake loose $300 million uh, to um, invest and create employment uh, opportunities and programs for over 
90,000 low-income and jobless youth and young adults across the entire state of Illinois. Yeah, dig more into that. You and State Senator Robert Peters, you've sponsored a bill that would provide that money. You mentioned $300 million uh, to fund jobs. Now, this is for at least 80,000 teens and young adults across the state. Tell us exactly what the money would pay for. So the, the program would award grants to uh, community-based not-for-profit uh, entities to train young adults uh, for the workforce and to place them in jobs uh, with partners both in the public, private, and nonprofit sector. And so this is a, a soup-to-nuts program. This is not just summer jobs. This is just not not just a, a stipend, um, you know, once a month. This is really attempting to go deep and find ways to connect and, and uh, work with our partners uh, who are going to step forward to, to help us deal with uh, this joblessness issue uh, in our communities. Yeah, I'm glad you made that connection because some folks who are listening represented, they might think of a, a job at a, a fast food restaurant or an ice cream shop or a retail store when we talk about youth employment. And, and there might just be that disconnect between that idea and why we would be talking about state funding. Uh, so tell us what sorts of programs the state currently funds that hire young people. Yeah, so there, there are some are some grants that um, the state has been able to, to give to um, organizations on the ground doing the work through the lieutenant governor's efforts and the ICTA program. Uh, there are also uh, uh, um, entities that have worked with the Illinois Department of Labor to provide uh, these programs. But you know what we've seen once again is that these are often summer jobs. They're, they're often summer jobs to keep our young people quote unquote busy. Uh, during the months when they are not in school or, or during um, you know the, the summer months, but what we've seen uh, by looking at data and analyzing it is that if you commit to employment throughout the year, if you find ways to invest throughout the year, then you get a better return on investment. Once again, this is not just about a, a, a summer paycheck. This really has a component <clears throat> in there that talks about training our young people, helping them become part of the workforce. And Sasha, and part of what I said was that, you know, this is going to strengthen Illinois' economy, um, but it will because it's going to lessen the, the labor shortages that businesses are experiencing. I um, really do believe that the return on investment uh, is very clear. For every $1 invested uh, in our young people uh, through job programs, $11 are saved based on research we saw from the uh, Brookings Institution. And so, Listen, we, 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 this is not just about public safety. Uh, this is about public wellness and making sure we're doing the right thing for our young people. Yeah, you, you talked there about year-round hiring. A lot of young people are in school, right? And I, I could see some parents listening, for instance, and they're worried that a job year-round, that's going to conflict with their child's education. Or maybe a college student will have to choose between going to class or picking up a, a shift. What are your thoughts? Well, listen, this is part of the reason why we're doing it this way, because this is not a one-size-fits-all proposal. The, the organizations on the ground are going to be disseminating these funds, are going to be um, providing these training. This training is, they're going to have uh, a real understanding of the young people they're working with. They'll have to come in and have conversations about, um, you know, their experience, their background, what they may want to do. Um, and we'll find ways through this program uh, to tailor-make, uh, you know, a, a situation for them that, that works. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about the, the, the job openings um, that we have in our in our tourism and hospitality industry, and they're they're plentiful. Um, but the truth of the matter is that uh, it's not a one size fits all approach. We have to be able to um, look at the specifics. Um, some young people will want to go to school and work. Some folks will just want to work. Some people will want 
um, to find ways to pursue a, a degree in higher education once we're done with high school. We should be able to bring all of our resources to bear to do the things and find the ways to keep our young people engaged, not just to keep them busy, because that's not enough. we got to keep them engaged. Let's go back to talking about that bill that you co-sponsored that would provide $300 million to fund some of these jobs. Where would this money come from, so that we're clear? Yep, yep. so we're working right now. Uh, we are in the heat of budget negotiations in Springfield, and uh, we're hoping to get um, uh, some of this uh, taken care of in the next couple of days in, in this budget that we are planning to, to present and vote on Friday. Uh, but um, this money would, would come through the state uh, DCO, Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Uh, we do think that even if we spread out this $300 million over uh, you know two or three years, that we have the ability to do it. Um, and we also understand it's going to be a tough budget year for the state, right? Um, there's a $600 million possible shortfall based on predictions from this year's revenue, but we also see that there will be a rise in revenue next year based on those predictions. And so we're, we're having those uh, very intense budget and conversations right now about how we can fund this. Uh, but I choose to believe that uh, if we are really serious about making sure that the next generation of people in this state have a, a leg up, then we, we've got to do things like this. Yeah. Will you work with the mayor as well? One of the executive orders that Mayor Johnson signed on his first day in office, it instructs the Office of Budget and, and Management to actually review all potential sources of funding for, for youth employment, including state funds and county funds. Is this bill, do you see that as, as working with the mayor to achieve that goal? Absolutely. Listen, I've had the pleasure of being Brandon Johnson's friend for years. I had the pleasure of being his opponent uh, in the mayor's race for about 11 months. And uh, now as we work together um, as colleagues with uh, him taking office uh, just a couple of days ago and wanting to work with Springfield on a robust agenda, uh, this fits perfectly into what he's been talking about uh, since he uh, hit, hit the stage um, when it comes to investing in people. And so we are I'm going to do all things we can do as well. It's going to be an all-hands-on-deck effort. Um, we want to uh, bring in the city and the county and the federal government as well to have conversations about this and actually do the work and not to operate in silos, but to find some collaborative, collaborative spirit so we can get some of this done. Earlier this hour, we, we talked with Gabrielle Caverell-McNeil. She's the, the Senior Director of Employment and Academic Coaching at New Moms. It provides services for moms who are 24 years or younger. Now, she talked about the, the benefits cliff, and this was how getting a raise could actually make moms ineligible to receive child care credits or health care. Is that something that's addressed in the bill? And, and if not, would you address it moving forward? Yeah, it's not directly addressed in this bill, but listen, that, that cliff is real. Uh, I've talked to mothers around my district. As you said earlier, I, I, I span the lakefront. I go from South Chicago up to the Gold Coast. And I've talked to mothers in South Shore and Woodlawn and Washington Park uh, about this. It almost is incentivized not um, to do better and not, not to not not to be able to to to, to um, get better benefits, not be able, uh, to be uh, compensated better mm-hmm. uh, because you'll be penalized, right? And, and and that is the opposite of what we should be doing uh, through policy, right? And so um, I've had some conversations in Springfield over the last couple of weeks about that. I know there are some folks who are working specifically on that, and I'm looking forward to helping them get those things across the finish line that we, we can't continue um, to penalize folks uh, for moving in the right direction. And we got to make sure that people are taken care of and they have the ability to take care of their families. Before I let you go, Representative, I'm, I'm curious what you're hearing from youth in your district about what jobs they want. Yeah, 
Um, so it, it's, it's, it runs the gamut, which is really why I'm excited about the fact that this is not just a this is not a one size fits all uh, situation. I've talked to young people who um, are interested in in working uh, in the hospitality industry. I've talked to young people who are interested in a career uh, in sports. I've actually talked to young people who are clamoring for the ability to learn a trade, right? And so it really runs the gamut. I'm hearing from all types of young people uh, that they want to see true investment in them, right? So this is, um, to me, a salvo uh, across the deck to show people that we're not just going to talk about it. We're not just going to say the words, the words that sound good when it comes to um, taking care of our young people. We're actually going to do the work and put our money where our mouth is. That's State Representative Cam Buckner of the 26th District. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Still with us, Matt Wilson, Associate Director of Economic and Workforce Development at UIC's Great Cities Institute. So your reaction, you were listening along to the state rep there. What stood out? So it's it's so great to see this commitment and this $300 million be on the table. And I think that recently the public discourse has shifted around sort of blaming young people um, for the conditions they're in to trying to understand that young people need supports and that these supports are really important. And mm-hmm. I think the when people speak to the effectiveness of the programs, I think that's that's really impactful. And I think our, our ability to understand the impacts of them, I think, just clearly makes the, the, the case that these are things that pay for themselves. Um, the trajectory that they put young people on is, is really amazing for not just, you know, the, the summer or the school year that they're employed, but these are really sort of lifetime investments that people are, are that are being made in people. And you've been invested in this this topic for, for some time. Was there anything that he left out, you think? You know, it's so interesting to hear from the young people themselves. And I've, I've been involved in this research since 2016. And uh, to hear young people talk about the barriers that they've had to, to getting employment um, is, is always um, fascinating, saddening, and... You know, they, they don't talk about it in terms of discrimination, but I, so many young people say, I just can't get a shot. No one will give me a shot. I want to work. I'm ready to work. I think I have a sufficient set of skills. And the the sort of no one's meeting them halfway. Yeah. And then when they do have mentors and people that are able to plug them into some of these opportunities, I mean, the they're overwhelmingly successful. And the way that they talk about those mentors and those people that help them, I think it's it's really powerful. They never forget them. They either. never do. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, let's let's talk more and hear from a young person themselves. Now, we've been talking about jobs, Matt. There's also the issue of a different kind of summer employment, which is internships, right? Lots of folks trying to get internships right now. This is something we typically typically hear about from that younger end of the spectrum. And yesterday we had a guest on the show. His name is Kashyap Rajesh. He's a junior at Stevenson High School in Lincolnshire, and uh, he told us that when it comes to summer employment, it's hard enough for his peers and him to find internships, let alone jobs. You know, as a high school student, you know, obviously I'm very passionate about getting involved in my community, getting involved in the type of work that I'm interested in. And so, you know, over the last two to three years, I've, you know, scoured the Internet for, you know, new opportunities to get involved, new internships. Um, but a lot of the times what I've encountered is that, you know, it says like, okay, you need to have high school, you need to be in college, you need to have an undergrad degree. And so, um, you know, that was pretty upsetting because, you know, as a high schooler who enjoys like, you know, partaking in my community, sharing my voice, 
um, it was pretty saddening that I wasn't able to, you know, get that opportunity to share my voice because what they were looking for was an almost certificate of completion of high school. And um, I'm still in high school, and so it's been difficult to kind of find those internships. There are a couple, um, but yeah, I think the the whole idea of, you know, getting an internship, an official internship is pretty difficult, but I'm excited and optimistic for the Johnson administration and adding, you know, additional funding for youth employment. You talked earlier, Matt, about... Uh younger candidates for these jobs not being competitive enough, right? When you see that competitiveness pushing them out of not just jobs, but also internships, I mean, what's left? What are their options? I think there's fundamental questions we need to ask around what is the responsibility of the business community? Um, You know, when, when we have corporations who are often getting things like large amounts of tax concessions, I think, you know, that comes to this fundamental question of, do they have any sort of duty or obligation to be helping young people? And internships are so important because it exposes people to worlds that they just haven't been exposed to. Absolutely. And, you know, we think of, you know, your your average college student changes majors because they don't want, know what they want to do. High school students, you know, they have an idea of the I'm raising my like. hand here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of them. I had yeah. internships all through college. Just, you know, the reason I'm sitting in this chair today is my internships. Right. So I think as that exposes you to these new worlds that you didn't know exist, I think we need to be more intentional about not seeing young people as a potential mechanism for a little bit of ROI, right? So how do we get a return on them? How do we take their skills to market and, and sort of profit off of them and see it more as you know, do they do these, these companies and whether they be public or private, do they have obligations to meet young people where they are, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, if you want to sort of mock up a unsuccessful internship or training program, you know, just don't be sensitive to where people are, right? So I think the, the the most impactful training programs are ones that acknowledge that you need these sort of soft skill trainings and things, and you need to t- teach people skills on the job to be able to to prepare them to do that. Because if you expect them to come in with it, right, then that's when the younger the younger generation is going to be much less competitive than the older ones. When there's this idea that this person needs to be job ready today. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Matt Wilson is Associate Director of Economic and Workforce Development at UIC's Great Cities Institute. Thank you so much for digging into this with us.